0: The Talking Stigma podcasts feature Gareth Thomas and Craig Doyle
1: talking to other well-known guests about stigma and how we can make stigma a thing of the past through knowledge and education. Listen to Gareth talking about his HIV-positive diagnosis. How people have treated him, how he has felt since he announced his status in September 2019 and how through scientific advances, being on effective treatment means the levels of HIV are so low in his system that the virus cannot be passed on through sexual contact. Intimate discussions draw on personal insights of Gareth and other special guests, comparing and contrasting their experiences
0: of stigma. Hello everyone, welcome to Tackle HIV with Gareth Thomas and the Talking Stigma podcast series. I'm Craig Doyle and throughout this series I'm talking to Gareth and other well-known guests about stigma. What is stigma? What's it like when you experience stigma? How does it make you feel? Why does it happen? How do you overcome it? How do you change people's mindset so they stop applying stigma to people and situations? And what needs to be done in your own community, amongst your friends on this planet of ours to get rid of stigma because it causes absolute mayhem and sadness in people's lives. And uh, and that's what this is all about, just getting the conversation started. And uh, that's what we're here for, really, Gareth, isn't it? You know, just to get people chatting about it because conversation and knowledge is the best way to overcome these things.
2: Yeah, and also to get people chatting about, about subjects that potentially they would avoid, um, difficult circumstances, um how people use their wording how that affects other people and i think this stigma is such a small word yet it has such a big impact to realize that stigma comes in many different versions um and it affects many people from different walks of life from protected characteristics
0: and with that in mind, I'm going to sound like complete hypocrite. I got to explain why I'm going to call you Alfie for the rest of this because that is your name. You're you are named after a 1980s TV alien. <laughs> I didn't name you, but that's what people call you. So if you're wondering why we're calling Gareth Alfie, that's what he's known out, out there. Just Google Alfie and um, Google Gareth and Law. Kind of makes sense. Uh, uh, alien life form
2: will come up. Yes, Diley, yes. So uh, for each one of
0: these podcasts, we're joined by a very special guest, and I'm delighted to say this week we're joined by Dion Dublin. Now uh, Dion was a wonderful footballer uh, played for England of course uh, played for quite a few clubs across the Premiership started his career in Cambridge United where he made a big name for himself but also played for Man United Coventry Villa Norwich of course and uh, Leicester and the mighty Celtic as well oh show my colours too much there Alfie oh Oh dear oh dear you left
2: you only put a mighty in after Celtic Manchester United was like a nothing actually
0: (laughs) I remember when Dion joined uh, Manchester United there were real glory days for us Uh, how you doing Dion you well good to have you with us today
2: I like the introduction. Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) I should point out you're joining us remotely today um, because you're a busy old man selling houses on telly. So
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's how my mother knows him, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, that's
1: how so many people... I can walk through a supermarket with my wife. I'll be slightly ahead of my wife and I'll walk past an elderly couple. And uh, as I walk past, they don't know it's my wife and they'll be going oh it's him oh it's him look it's the one that does the houses <laughs> <How>
2: <laughs> no can idea about
1: the football no how idea. can
2: such a fantastic career be totally dominated by now selling houses yeah
0: yeah I, I, I know your pain I'm a double glazing salesman <laughs> and, and an awful lot of people Dion <laughs> it's so funny either oh holiday programme guy oh he's a rugby, <laughs> rugby guy oh he'll show you out with windows <laughs> take, take your pick take your pick um we're going to have a proper chat in, in a minute, uh, Dion. But first of all, Alfie, let's just remind everyone what we're doing here. You recently launched the Tackle HIV campaign with Vive Healthcare and the Terence Higgins Trust. And uh, it's a very important campaign. It's about informing people and um, because it's been a huge learning curve for you, too, since you found out you had HIV, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's been a, a huge learning curve for me, but also for the people that I'm closest to. My husband, my stepdaughter, my mother, my father, my friends, my brothers. Um, we've all kind of con- gone on this journey of education and we found, and I've definitely found, is that through the knowledge, I've created so much power for myself to be confident and be okay with who I am. But also my family have also gained that power as well because through me living with HIV, they've almost had to learn themselves to be accepting of it because you know I, I was a version of self-stigma, so was my family. So for my family to go on that journey as well, they feel they've enhanced who they are and the knowledge they have. So if they are, you know, if, if they are in a conversation where HIV is mentioned, or if they're around somebody who reveals to them that they're living with HIV, they don't live in that stigma. They don't live with that misunderstanding because they have the knowledge about it, they have the power about it. Um, so that's kind of what this is all about is giving people the tools and the equipment to make consciously right decisions, not wrong decisions. Do you know what's lovely? Sorry, sorry to butt in, but you know,
1: Gareth, if people take the time to find out about that topic, a situation, if they take the time to find out about HIV, if they take the time to find out about whatever it is you have a problem with, they become more powerful. Your family and you are so much more powerful now Mm. as a unit. Yeah, You know, you know what you're talking about. You know, you're no different to anybody else in the world, but the people that don't know that tiptoe around it and don't know what to do or don't know what to say. Go and find out about it.
2: I think a big thing with that, mind is fear of getting things wrong. Is Mm -hmm. people don't want to create conversations around something they don't know much about. Sometimes, you know, through a lot of it, you know, with my friends at the start, a lot of it is through the want of to protect you by not wanting to upset you about saying something that they're not sure about. So they'd rather say nothing at all. And I'm like, you know what? If it comes from a good place and doesn't come from a place of discrimination, if it comes from a place of wanting to learn, then you can't ask me the wrong question. So don't be Absolutely. afraid of asking them questions. Absolutely. You, no, I agree, I
1: agree.
0: Dion, did you notice just when Alfie started speaking at the start there and he just said so casually, you know, you know, uh, you know, my husband and my stepdaughter and my parents and all these people, important people in his lives and it was just casually said, imagine 10 years ago a professional sportsman saying my husband and my stepdaughter. Uh, very normal now, wonderful things now, but, you know, a professional sports person 10 years ago would be terrified to utter those words. Well, unheard of. Yeah, Couldn't be yeah, your husband.
1: Absolutely absolutely without a doubt and people people get wouldn't dare say it because you don't know what's gonna what reaction you're going to get is it going to be anger is it going to be oh dear better stay away you know it's crazy yeah. but we're in a situation now where it shouldn't it, it, who cares man yeah. you know but i say it
2: i say it consciously as well is something like that like with hiv right or any other form of discrimination is i say it with a sense of pride because i know that my sexuality doesn't define who i am my hiv status doesn't define who i am whereas i think before people used to say it with fear because they felt that the person they were talking to or somebody might overhear it will define that whatever that form of potential discrimination is that they're gonna be defined by that. So whether it be, you know, your sexuality, whether it be your status, whether it be, you know, your identity, then you never spoke about it too loud because people will be, okay, above all else now, you're gay. Above all else now, you're HIV positive. So no matter about your personality, about your kindness, about your intelligence, all that would be forgotten because you'd have this one major thing. That was a topic that they would define you on.
1: Yeah, they become they become they're like this. Then they get they get blinkers on. That's yeah. it. Get blinkers on. I can't see anything else. Forget forget the man. Forget yeah. the rub, Forget the career. It's just he's yeah. gay. Yeah, it's, it's you know. Well, that's
0: right. I, I think I think it gives us great hope though that you can talk about your husband and freely. It shows that we can change our attitude. In saying all that. I experienced something this week, Dion, and, and and I know you'll be interested in this. And I was earwigging, you know, a lot of parents will do it, earwigging uh, my son on <laughs> Xbox, right? Because the chat's funny on Xbox. And one kid who remained nameless, um, but uh, he, he was on it. He doesn't play it very often with them and I could hear him. And my son was winning a game and they are giving this kid a bit of stick. And he said, yeah, you're just gay. And he was using the term yes. gay as an insult towards mm-hmm. these kids, 12 and 13 year olds. And I was really upset by it. Um, but there was no point in saying anything to that kid, and I, I, I was thinking, like, where's that come from? Where that's learned behaviour, Dion, isn't it? Because that kid hasn't grown up thinking gay is an insult. He no,
1: he's, he's he's heard it. He's heard it somewhere within his. Well, we can call them bubbles now, because that's the world we're in. Within his bubble, he's heard people say that, and he's thought, well, if they can say it, I can say it. It is learned behaviour. It's it's. It's a situation where kids only pick up stuff like that if it's in their world and they don't know what it means. They have no idea what it means. They just say it because their parents get away with it. Their family gets away with it. Their friends get away with it. It's, you know, we've we've had so many conversations I've had about, uh, you know, kids aren't born racist. They're not born with a stigma against gay people or hiv or fat or ginger whatever it may be they're not born that way they are taught it they learn it from people in and around them let's stop it right at the very core which is when they're kids when they're children so they learn the right things
0: stop it at source i mean it's you're absolutely right and and i thought Alfie, what was particularly sad about hearing that on Xbox was there was a big group of kids playing that would have been eight or nine of them. One of those kids could be gay. And at 12 or 13, if that's been thrown at him as an insult, that's going to stay with them. And, you know, it's going to be hard when he gets to 18, 19, 20 to be able to come out. Because those things stay with kids, right?
2: Of course they do. You know, I I remember... It'd be interesting, actually, to know about Dion's experiences growing up in a changing room. Because I know when I grew up in a changing room, um, even at first-class rugby... Um, first of all, why you have to? You no, know, I I don't, I don't demonize people for saying it. I just want to educate people for saying it. Because a lot of people say it because they think within that group that nobody's going to be offended by it. Because first of all, within that group, nobody's going to be gay as far as they're concerned. So they feel like they can get away with saying it. And I know growing up in a changing room, um, with the rugby, uh, there's first class rugby, and it'd always be, um, I'll kick it to. The winger over there he can't catch he catches like a faggot he catches like a bender he catches like a gay boy or he can't tackle um and growing up and you're that, everything everything to do with them words equated to something that was a flaw or something that wasn't very good and i would sit in the change i thinking well i can tackle i can catch a ball so maybe i'm not gay because i can do these things that they're saying gay people can't so that what what that what that does it just creates the word gay to associate something to very negative and when you're growing up with somebody um, who's unsure of their identity or wanting to be a good rugby player yet everything everybody's telling them about gay people means that you can't be a good rugby player then you lose your identity you kind of you lose who you are so growing up people they equate the word gay to something that's very negative or has the ability not to do anything and that was very relevant in rugby changing rooms for me growing up as a kid but also when I played first class because I played before rugby turned professional um, playing first class top flight rugby Um and when I played soccer as a kid it's happened in the soccer changing rooms but I don't know I just think for me it's really because football especially with Dion it's really interesting to see if he would have heard these things and um, would have realised that they were happening in professional football changing rooms because they happened in, and they probably still happen in, in rugby changing rooms.
0: Yeah, Dean. I mean, you're you're you know you're a great campaigner against racism, but just I, I'd be interested in your your thoughts on what Alfie said there about homophobia in the dressing room, uh, particularly at underage level. Did you experience yeah, it? Did you see
1: it? Listen, it's I've heard all the same the same vocabulary wow. is used within, within the footballing dressing room. Um, it's even now I would imagine it's still being used. I played with a, I played with a guy called Thomas Hitzelsberger. Yeah. Uh, Used to call him the hammer because his left foot was incredible, man. He could strike a ball, let me tell you. And we didn't know, we didn't know he was gay. We had no idea he was gay at all. And since then, since then, I've spoken to Thomas, you know, I said, Thomas, I didn't know you were gay. Why don't you just tell us? Why don't you tell us you were gay? And then, we had, then I had banter with him. Yeah. I said, that's why you stayed in the shower for that long. That's <laughs> why in the shower. Because all the black boys stayed in, you stayed in, eh? Like, <laughs> what I said to him, you know? And he's gone, you know, and that's that's the way. Yeah. You have to be, you have to be together. You have to be able to laugh about it together. Yeah. Without having the boundaries up, you've got to get through it together. Yeah. There, there shouldn't be that, oh, there's Thomas, there's us. It's just, we're in it together,
2: we're a team. Why, why do you think with Thomas then, um, he waited till the end of his career to do it? Do you think that was a changing room or do you think that was um, a terrace fear or a management fear? You know, do you think the problem was more so off the field than on the field for him in particular?
1: I, I think possibly because Thomas wasn't the most vocal. He wasn't the most vocal. He, he, let, his, uh, he let his football do the talking. Mm. He wasn't. You know, you and I, uh, Gav, quite loud and, mm. you know, big characters on the pitch and we want to lead. That's how I used to be. Thomas was, all right, Dion, yeah, okay, Deon, what do you want, Dion, what do you want to do? That kind of thing. But he was good at it.
2: Mm.
1: So I think his personality and the fear of the fans mm. getting hold of this and using it against him, uh, the managers wouldn't have been wouldn't have been a problem and the players would have definitely not been a problem. There may have been... I can't talk for everybody. There may have been one or two that might have been a little bit, oh, not too sure. Yeah. But the majority of that dressing room, Gareth Southgate, Hugo Echiot, God messed his soul, Paul Merson, everybody, we'd have been there. And I I, I know that for 100%. Of course, there would have been the odd one or two. But I know the majority of the um, players would have gone, right, Thomas, we're with you. Who cares?
2: We don't care. Do you think... Just uh, Sorry, but... No, um, no, no, it's good. Do you think with... um, with football, for instance, people say, um, uh, like, so say when you played in Man United, right? They say. You know, do you feel if you had an openly gay player in the Man United changing rooms playing for Manchester United that the fans at Manchester United would be okay? That's a very common question asked. And I feel the question that needed to, as somebody who's played in these environments and has confronted discrimination in this form, is the question you need to ask is, as a Manchester United player being openly gay and you went to Manchester City, how would the Manchester City fans treat you i feel that's that's acceptance rather than saying how would your own fans treat you because they support your yeah. team it's what yeah. would the Man city fans yeah. be like if you went to a to a thing like Do you think with thomas that it was the fear not so much of the fans that were on his team were yeah. the fans yeah. of when you visited local rival teams what they would do
1: yeah, I, I think that's and you touched on it as well. What they would, and I know this having been in that environment so many times, that um, they would have used. Thomas has a good game. Thomas does something well. Thomas does something against them. Then they will. Any other player that's 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 not gay, they would have found something to say. Generally, if Thomas does something against that side very well, scores a goal, they'd have used the gay. Yeah. That's what, a, to, to hurt him, or, or they would have thought it would hurt him. It wouldn't hurt him, of course it wouldn't. But they would use that because it's lack of education. It's not knowing that he doesn't care about that.
2: Yeah, yeah. You don't
1: know enough about that, so you're just saying, oh, he's gay, he's gay, what a great shot, he's gay, or that. Whatever you say, Yeah. they don't know enough about the situation in order to think or have the vocabulary to sing something else. I yeah. think it is, the, it is the other fans that would have used that against him. It would have
2: made him stronger, no in Thomas. Yeah, just one more question. Which is something I'm really interested in. Do you think Thomas Hitzelberger? Because yeah. I get asked this question all the time, and you know what? I don't really know. And sometimes it's good to ask yeah. it's good to ask other people, because yeah, other yeah. people knew more about, about me than I did, I think. Is do you think Thomas Hitzelberger <laughs> would have been a better or different player had he been open about his sexuality in the time when he was in the Premier League? 100%
1: yes. Yeah. 100%. I think he would have been a different character. I've said he was quiet. Um, I think he would, w- once it had been out there with, uh, and accepted, I think he may have grown as a personality. He may have been a little bit more vocal. Yeah. I think he would have felt a little bit more comfortable. He would He would have taken a sigh of relief saying, oh, everybody knows now. Thank God for that. I can yeah. just relax. So yes, I do believe he would have been a different player and possibly within the football bubble he'd have have been a different player as well
0: just being able to be normal uh, uh, in conversation with your friends after a game what did you do oh myself and you know Jane went off to the week oh myself and Dave we went here you know just to behave normally I mean it's got to be a stress I mean you know Gareth you had to keep it wrapped up for for a while and and you wanted to and and then the relief when you came out was extraordinary wasn't it I
2: think where you go from and this is why I asked that question, is what you go from, and this is the personal experience, is you go from somebody, as Dion knows, um, Doily doesn't know, you wish he did know, playing professional sport, right? You yeah. you, you, are, you, are, you are 100%... That's bullying in the... <laughs> right there, by the way. Discrimination <laughs> against
0: those with no gift.
2: With no gift. You are 100% in the moment, and being that 100% in the moment, and the difference between being good and great is kind of an an instinctive moment of where, you know, you score the goal, um, or you put, you're in the right place because your instinct has told you this. Now, what happens when you're hiding who you are is there's a fear that constantly you live with, which kind of defocus you from 100%. So say, you know, as a rugby player, you take that pass or you you kick that ball at the right time because you're 100% in the moment. And what a lot of my life I lived, and that's why it's good to hear Dion saying he would have been different, because I know I would have been different, is I spent 70% of my moment in that, you know, of my time in that moment and 30% worrying about am I doing something that's a little bit effeminate? Am I doing something that the teammates or my opposition are going to pick up on? Or the fans in the crowd? Or my coach? You, you spend that 30%. Therefore, you never really live 100% in that moment. And when you're a professional sports person, being 100% in that moment, as I said earlier, is the difference between having a good game and having a great game. You know, being the best you can be or being 70% of the version you could be. And I know for a lot of my career, I definitely spent a, the majority of it being seventy percent, eighty percent in that moment, and twenty percent worrying about everybody else. That's just fucking so.
1: Fucking hell! Can you imagine if, he, if he'd have been hundred percent? Fucking hell! <laughs> <laughs> His opponents would have been had no chance. Yeah. At <laughs> I would have been asked. If you played at seventy percent, that's <laughs> incredible, man.
0: It's interesting, Dion um Alfie talking about you know if you knew I guess if you felt there were homophobic players in the dressing room or around you you could you could hide your homosexuality when it comes to racism uh, there's no hiding where you're from uh, if you're amongst people you feel might be racist that you just got to deal with it head-on and I'd imagine when we go back to 1988 and you started with Cambridge United and there was a very different era um you know it was it was racism was rife we saw what happened to John Barnes back in the day then and you know what, what was your experience of it and and, and when you saw like the, the likes of what happened to John Barnes, how fearful were you every time you went out in the pitch?
1: It was. Uh, it was. Listen, you, you just mentioned it there that when I first started, I was at. Uh, I was at 1987. They went to Cambridge '88, as you've mentioned, and it. It was. It was quite heavy. I don't think we ever got it. My era got it as bad as the John Barneses and the um, the Cunninghams and the Sil Regis's. I think they got the brunt of it. Uh, with the bananas and all that kind of stuff. Talk remember to me what, about
0: the kind of stuff they experienced, actually, before you, you talk about your own experience. Well, the kind well. of stuff...
1: That, that there's, there's one There's one situation that everybody of my age or everybody maybe five or six years younger remember the time when John Barnes was uh, on the wing and somebody threw a banana at him. You know, they threw a banana at him. He called him a monkey. Here, here's a banana. John Barnes controlled it with his left foot. And he picked it up. <laughs> And he had a bite of it and put it to the side of the pitch. And that was it. Didn't say a word. That was it. Just, just cracked on with it. I think the way that John Barnes and those guys dealt with that helped my era deal with it as well. Paul Ince, Mark Bright, Ian Wright, all those kind of guys. The 50 pluses, as I like to call them. We, we took a lot from those guys. And we took a lot from the fans as well. I mean, so many times I played away at teams, we beat them, could be playing for Villa, could be playing for Coventry, I just got dogs abuse getting on the coach, you N-word, you black this, you this, go back home, and you know, it's, it's. I, I will go back home, but it's Leicester. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to Leicester, that's what i was No doubt, you're just down the road in, in, in Nottingham, so you know what I mean, silly things.
0: How does it feel when someone says that to you?
1: Um, Anger is the first thing, in my opinion. Depending on what they say, anger is the first thing. And then once that anger's died down within two or three seconds, I think I start to feel sorry them, sorry for them, because of their lack of. I'm an okay guy, lads. There's no need to say that. I'm an okay guy. It's fine. I'm just playing the game that you paid to watch. So you know, enjoy enjoy the you know enjoy the occasion. There's no need for the aggression, man. You know, we're rolling it together. That's basically my inner thought. Uh, you never get a chance to say that because you're pushed on the coach by the security and all that kind of stuff. Um, I've had, listen, recently, and, I, and this is what upsets me. Two years ago, I was working, I was filming for Homes Under the Hammer and we do two houses a day on Homes Under the Hammer. So I did my first house and then um, with uh, uh, one of the runners, we went to the supermarket and I, think, I don't know what supermarket it was. Went into one of the big supermarkets and you go into the first door, then you get into the, the, um, where the R, where the RAC, man, stands to sell all this stuff. <laughs> so I got there, and as I was going in with the runner, there was a lady uh, pushing a trolley. The trolley was heavy. She had lots of goods in there, man. You know, she had a good shot, and she was, there was two of them. So I grabbed, I put my finger out, and I just wanted to grab the front of the trolley because it was just about to bang into the door, and as I put my hand on her trolley, the younger one, Blonde girl, must have been young, uh, early 30s. She gave me this barrage of abuse. She said, get off my trolley, you black bam. And she didn't whisper it. She shouted this in a supermarket. And I was completely shocked. Everybody in that little foyer area, 20, 30 people, stopped and looked over their shoulder. Who said that? This blonde lady just walked off and just carried on walking. I was shocked. I didn't know what to say. And this is like, what, we're now, 2018 maybe. 2018! Wow. Oh. this guy was young. She wasn't 85, 95, she was 30-odd.
0: So I guess there's such a, a mix of emotions there, right? Because you're angry, you're upset, you feel bad, you feel bad about yourself, but also you've got the attention of, you're now the centre of attention in something you don't want to be the centre of attention of. Everyone's looking at you, it's embarrassing, so everything about it is pure awful, isn't it?
1: See, The thing about it is, centre of attention, I don't mind centre of attention. I don't mind centre of attention while being racially abused either. Because I know that being centre of, being, being of attention and, and, and doing nothing wrong isn't a problem to me. If I'm the centre of attention and I've just done something wrong, then that's when you've got a problem. they have done nothing wrong. I'm just going about my business. That's it. Somebody abuses me. They're the, they're, they're the person in the spotlight, not me. They're the person in the spotlight.
2: So does, I'll, I'll, I'll handle that. Sorry, sorry, guys. Does something like that empower you to understand the reality of the world? If you don't face discrimination, mm. then you you're not really sure what you're fighting against. So as much as Dolly said that would have made you feel so bad in so many ways, does it also give you a motivation to be like, Do you know what, this this one shouldn't happen to me, mm. and two, I'm going to make sure that this doesn't or shouldn't happen to anybody else.
1: Yeah, there is that. There is that. Absolutely, gal. But my first thought was, my first thought was, why has she said it? Where has she got it from? Why is it still happening now? That that was my my first thought was, how can I stop it? Where at source? You mentioned that earlier, Doyle. You said at source, and that's it. Where my where she got it from? That's what I want to know. Mm. What she said? Of course, it hurt me. Being in the center of attention under that situation doesn't bother me.
2: Mm.
1: I'm trying to think now, Gareth, it's all about where she got that from. You know, mm. I was baffled. Where she got that from? You know, it's if it's still, if it's still, whatever the stigma is, if it's still there and it's still strong and it's still in the bloodline mm. of wherever it's coming from, it's not going to be diluted anytime soon unless you nip it in the bud, you have to nip it in the bud early on when people are young, when kids are young, when they, when they can absorb information about the stigmas of their elders. Do you so know, if you start to dilute it when they're kids, whatever it may be, the more you educate, the more it gets diluted, the more
2: you never see it. That was my thought. Do you know at that moment as well, so this woman who said this was with another woman. Yes. Um, and while people, again, don't, I think realise is that other woman actually for saying nothing actually was passively being racist as well or the other people around for just kind of maybe standing back and not voicing an opinion, not maybe being protective are unconsciously being racist by allowing it to happen without questioning. If, you know, if somebody would walk past that, out that Tesco, and somebody tried to grab somebody's handbag. You'd have abundance of people wanting to be the hero to stop mm-hmm. that woman. Yet when there's something like this happens, passiveness is also a version of of Correct. being racist yourselves. You, yeah, you...
1: it, it kind of it kind of puts them on board with what she said, doesn't it? Yeah, without them knowing it, it yeah. kind of puts them on board as well. I better not say anything. Yeah, really, you know, you should have said, you know don't be rude or whatever you may say. You've got to back the right thing. And yeah. they feel by saying nothing, they've done the right thing. They've yeah. just enhanced what she said. It's, it's, I, I don't, I, I really don't get it. It's
0: really interesting you say that about both of you, about someone publicly pulling someone up for, for being racist. Now, I was no, having no, the no, com- before,
1: before, sorry, okay, sorry yeah. Dolly, I've just remembered what I was going to say. <laughs> the thing is that when I left the store, Carried on with my day's work. When I was driving home, it was in Chesterfield, by the way. And the people of Chesterfield will want to hear this: is that when I was driving home from from Chesterfield, I had uh, tweets because I put it on social media. I had tweets and Instagrams saying, "Really sorry, Dion." Uh, that doesn't speak for the people of Chesterfield. Sorry that happened. You know, it's a great place, and but they they did it on a safe platform, what they feel is a safe platform. And what Gareth said is they're okay to do it there, but they wouldn't do it out in the public where it really matters. Mm, yeah, You know, it's safe for them to do it there.
0: Uh, and that's a really interesting point. I was talking to someone recently um, about Black Lives Matter and the Black Lives Matter movement. And I was saying, you know, how do we know that people are wearing a badge really feel like that and are living that way and, and, and it's not just a badge on... And they said to me, all I want to, as a black person is to see my white friends say out loud, black lives matter. They want to hear their white friends and colleagues say out loud, black lives matter. That means an awful lot to them. And I got it. Mm-hmm. I abs- I absolutely got it. And it's a version of what you're talking about there, guys. Taking a stand publicly and saying, I understand.
2: Yeah, And, also and your I life is important. Like, and I'm sure the will agree. It's about putting your head above the parapet. Like in a team... In the team environment, you kind of just get on with everybody else and everything's the same, but it, it takes an individual who really wants to make a change to actually be the one to say, do you know, no, I fully support this. I, I'm, not, I'm not a token gesture of something. I am somebody who will vocally say something and be very proactive in going out and saying something or in, in doing an action. Um, and I think to me they they are the individuals who are who we call allies, you know, like somebody who would have called out Dion um, and the racist abuse that he did in that supermarket. It just it just takes one person, a non-black person to stand up and actually voice something that will make more of a difference and make more of a change than everybody wearing something or wearing a token gesture.
0: Dion, why do you think people are racist? Uh,
1: I think I, I, I'll go back to the, to the, to the heart of, of why I think. I, I do I do believe it's it's lack of education. I do believe they don't know anything else because they're taught a certain way. They're brought up a certain way. Um, their families have it within them. Their friends have it within them. A lot of the time, the rec... A lot of the time, the negative chants, whether they be gay or, or fat or black, whatever it is, the negative chance come from people when they are under pressure. They don't know what to say. They, they oh! So they say something that comes out and what comes out is very much what they mean and what they have inside them. Just at that moment, oh, that, oh, oh. So it's there and we don't know who, this might sound really strange. I know, I can sense a racist person without them saying anything. I know, a re- I can figure out a racist person in a room, no problem. How? Without them saying, body language, uh, eye contact. Um, I don't know what else.
0: Lack of contact. lack of eye contact. Too much no, eye no, contact. No, what, what what is it?
1: Eye contact. Eye contact's good. Eye contact's good but it's the the eye contact you get. I get good eye contact and I get negative eye contact. I can sense a racist person. I don't know what it is. It must be something within me that I know that they are racist and they know that I know that they are racist. It's incredible. They stand out like a beacon. Therefore, I make it my, my issue to make sure that we have some kind of contact. And I want them to deal with the situation of talking to me. Hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. They don't really want to meet me. Yes, they may shake my hand, but it'd be a very short conversation. The people that are racist, I know a racist. G's probably the same. He probably yeah. knows who, who's homophobic towards him. Oh, shit, no. Oh, no, yeah. I don't want to if he's fucking gay. Yeah. You could tell.
2: I didn't want to jump in there, but I, as, as you were asking the questions of how, I was just thinking to myself, I I don't know how, but you know when you walk in a room, somebody who is either negative or has an as a as a sense of uncomfort with you being in that environment, and it's through discrimination. So with me, if it's through sexuality, or is if it's through somebody lack of knowledge of HIV, whether they feel like me being in the same room mm-hmm. somehow I'm going to transmit HIV to them, or somehow because I'm gay and this this you know. This is, I'd say 99% of the time, it's a male anyway, who's uncomfortable. It's a man, which means that probably because I'm gay means that obviously I'm going to fancy that man and I'm going to, you know, make that man's environment uncomfortable. Now, I don't know about Dean, but what I always do is, yeah, I, w- I don't want to make the situation more uncomfortable, but what I want to do is I want to use that moment to what I call kill with kindness. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I make this person... Have to like me. I do yeah. everything above and beyond. That when he leaves that that bar, I said he thinks to himself, "What I thought initially when Gareth walked in the room, I have no more substance to that. He's either blown it out of the water, or I've he's, I've left there, not given him the armory he wants to be able to justify the way he acted." So, There's
0: not a narcissistic thing. This is wanting to change someone's negative attitude. Yeah, make a positive change in that moment.
2: Yeah to understand that whatever his discrimination is, whether it be, you know, a racist person when Dion walks in there, he has some sort of understanding that, you know, by a black person walking into the room, whatever historically he feels, you know, is a negative about a black person, or if a gay person walks into the room, whatever this guy historically feels is the negative about that, I make sure that I don't give him that. You know, some people might think, actually... I'm not going to like the fact that you don't like me and I'm going to give you enough ammunition to walk out. You're saying I was right in my knowledge of that. Yes. Gotcha. I, I make sure that I kill it with kindness and I do everything above and beyond that when I leave there, he might be, do you know, what? I'm still homophobic, but maybe not as homophobic as I was before.
1: Yeah. Cause pe- people will turn up, people will turn up in a situation at a venue in a room with the idea of, right, that's me. That's what I think. That's how I am. But what Gareth's saying is incredibly, incredibly clever, and the right way to deal with it is that when you leave here, you might still have that thought, but it won't be as strong. Do I need to really be like this? I've met him now. He's a lovely bloke. What's going on? Why, Why am I like this? You start to get them to think, Gareth, you know mm. aggression's never you're never gonna you're never, never gonna work with aggression my first thought is aggression always but then it goes and i think well how and why let's have a chat come on
2: me and you come here let's yeah. have a chat what do you think d what do you think the thing so i understand when i walk into a room i understand the discrimination of homosexual and hiv right is the fact that everybody has a different version of the reality of how hiv is transmitted the fact it can't be transmitted. Um, with an effective treatment which I am, is one thing, but what people know is another. Homosexuality is the fact that if it's 99% times the men, which it usually is, they feel like, I don't know, either I'm gonna be looking at their bum or I'm gonna be fancying them or whatever it is. What do you feel that where do you feel the discrimination comes from when you walk in a room and you feel a sense of hatred through racism? Like what do you feel that you you are adding to that person to make them feel Negative about you because I don't get it. I don't know if you get it or if you, you you understand where that hatred comes from. Like, what are you going to, what are you going to create in that room that wasn't there before you entered it?
1: Yeah, I, I my I think a racist person, I think a racist person sees a black person, and I'm talking about not not just a racist person saying something. Yeah, they might say it because they've heard it. Mm. That's still racism. Don't get me wrong. But a racist, pro- properly somebody racist that just doesn't like brown, black skin, whatever you want to call it. Mm. They think they think we are dirty, dirty people. Right. You know, just think we are dirty, horribly to touch or to see or air. Uh, I think that's what that's the thought they have. I right. don't want to be by that person because he's going to smell or he's going to look a certain way, and, and and that's a racist person in my head. Yeah you are not going to like me because your preconceived idea or whatever you've been taught as a young person is black people are dirty they smell they're not very nice they're lazy they don't add anything to society don't have anything to do with them
0: uh, is that what you that think is, is that, that that's what you think that's really that's really <sighs> it's difficult for a white person to actually um, digest that that you would, you would think people would think that about you I, I can't that's wow
1: a, a, that's a, strong a, a true racist person who has a hatred towards black people that's their thought we are we, we're a disgusting race to them mm. we are a disgusting race
0: do, do you ever think it might be Dion because you know people say Africa Africa is the birthplace of humanity I think when you look at a you know a black man's body compared to a white man's body the black man always looks an awful lot better <laughs> muscle structure's better better looking nicer skin just a more attractive human being and I just wonder is a white man fear going back hundreds and hundreds of years I wonder is that what it is and when you're fearful of something you try and knock it down I'm just uh, putting it out what? there devil's advocate you
1: know, you know when you go back to, the, when you go back to slavery mm-hmm. it's all about a, 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 it's all about you are not as good as us you have to do this work because you are working for us. We have to give you the crappy jobs because we are more worthy than you. So we shouldn't really have to do that job. So I will employ somebody who's black to do that job for me. So they feel that it's all about power. Mm-hmm. there may be an element of fear within, within that thought as well. And you've mentioned, you know, there's, there's an element of, you know, maybe they think he's a little bit more powerful than me. How can I be more powerful than him? I will disregard everything I think about him and teach them and treat him in a certain way to make him feel smaller than me. A lot of it is fear, but that fear is diluted because they, the white man has the power over the black man. I'm talking back in the day. I'm talking roots back in the day. And what a great film that was, by the way. If you haven't seen it, watch Roots, it's the so first good. one. Yeah. It's an absolute br- brilliant film and a great insight into into, uh, into racism and how to overcome it too. So, yeah, that, that's that's my thought. There, there is an element of that, Craig, where you think, yes, he's, he's powerful and he's good looking. How can I make him feel small? It's just through power.
0: This is uh, this is a fascinating and just such an open conversation. And it's really important, this kind of conversation, because I think, you know, if we were in a pub, Dion, on three of us, we'd be probably fearful about having a conversation this uh, this open. But this is what has to happen. We have to speak about this stuff and go into these little corners of it all. And it, it really is. It's such an education. Um, it's,
1: it's something that, you know, I'm happy to talk about this. I like talking about this. I want people to be able to get this podcast, listen to the podcast and go, oh, I didn't realise that. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't realise that's how we felt.
0: Mm. Um, we're going to take a wee break and uh, let everyone grab a cup of tea and we'll be back for more of this in just a few minutes. I want to talk to you about your role in, in trying to rid the, the planet of racism. And it, it's such a huge job. And I think in your words, almost an impossible job. I think you said before racism, you won't get rid of it, but you need to reduce it to the smallest possible percentage. Um, and You've also said you're kind of you're sick of the T-shirts, as much as I'm sure as we all have admired the Black Lives Matter campaign. It, it kind of needs to be more than that, doesn't it? It needs to be more ever present than that.
1: No, no, no. Agreed. And, and I think say, saying you're sick of it is possibly the wrong phrase I used. I am, I'm sick of it happening every two or three years. That's what I'm sick of. I think when it happens, it's great. We are raising the awareness that it's still there. Brilliant. We are wearing a t-shirt which shows that we're all in it together. That's great. We're having a chat about it now. Brilliant. And we're open about it. But what happens next week and what happens next month and what happens next year? If it's still there in another two or three years, we'll chat about it again when somebody gets called black this or somebody gets called gay this. We'll chat again and we'll start from the very beginning. So what's happening is it's strong, 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 strong. Somebody takes the oars away from you and that's it. You just, you start coasting. Nothing happens. That's what I'm sick of. If you're going to do it, then you need to get the prime minister involved here, and he needs to make education part of the curriculum within schools. At a very young age, it's the only way you can get rid of it at source. Teach the kids, teach black kids about white history, teach white kids about black history, teach Welsh kids about Irish history, and just do the, just do everything. It's not going to cost a thing. It's not going to cost you anything, but it will make a huge difference. You will never eradicate um, stigma towards certain situations and certain people and certain gay people or black people. You'll never eradicate it completely, but we can have a good go by starting at a very young age because kids aren't born racist. They're not born against gay people. It's learned behaviour within their families and their friends so passionate about getting it in schools. PM, let's do it, man. I'm there to help him. Let's do it. Teach the kids that we're all in it together.
0: This is the Talking Stigma podcast because it's about talking and talking about stigmas and, and, and that's what you're advocating here is if you get the kids talking about it in school maybe Dion they can educate their parents at home because it's a weird twist you're, you're saying the kids are learning it from somewhere if that's from home they, well, they're going to have to re-educate their parents maybe to start
1: Yeah well it's, it's I, I, I don't think that if a child is taught at school about racism I think the parent at home Uh, uh, even if they are stuck in their ways, will be able to make that child a racist because the child will absorb what he's told at school and it will stay with him. And if they keep telling him, keep telling him, keep telling him, he'll store it. And he will then question when he gets to an age, he will say, well, why, why, mum? Because I know that, and I know that, and I've been taught that, and because of that, they will have so much information that the ignorant parent never knew about, that they'll have no comeback. Information, information—it's so powerful, man.
0: Yeah, knowledge, knowledge is power so,
2: as well. Uh, what's interesting about this, and I feel it's a common thread of any form of discrimination, and I, I want to know if Dion agrees with me. Right, it's a real common factor. Is that um, when it comes to racism or any other form of discrimination? But we'll just talk about racism. When it comes to racism, are you saying, D, right, that we are really? really good reactive society so if there's an instance we will react to it and we'll react to it in the right way but what we're not good at is being proactive at yeah. creating environments where we no longer need to react because we stub out the problem rather than wait until the next year or the next six months to come along and there to be this issue so if that's the case and um, why do you think it is then when there are so many, if we look at history, there are so many accounts of racism, whether it be on the street, whether it be through police brutality, whether it be in the sporting arena. Why do you think it is that nothing really is being proactively done apart from potentially a talk and gesture?
1: I think a lot of the time, and, and, and I'm talking about the football world now, which mm. I know well, and I can only talk about that really, is that the people in power are of a certain race. The people right at the top that make all the decisions are of a certain group of people. And if you only, if you only bring into that group of people, the same person, you're only going to have a certain kind of person right at the top. If you're not brave enough to have a more diverse group of people that are making decisions, then the people that are making decisions are going to make the same decisions year after year after year. Mm. It, it's, it's such a hard one. Gee, it's such a hard one to, to, um, for those kind of people to say, you know what, I'm going to do this because they're going to have to convince the other people in that group that don't want to do it, to do it. And mm. they're going to, Oh, I'm not thinking, I don't think you should really do that. That's not really a place that we should be going and we really should be doing and spending our money on that rather than dealing with that because they don't know how to deal with it because they've got nobody within their group of people that is it.
0: Mm. It's not only that though, Dion, is it? It's like, yes, if you have people from diverse communities at the top of the pile making decisions, it does help. But if you've got kids from minority communities seeing that person at the top of the pile and suddenly they can go, oh, actually, it is possible for a black kid from Leicester to do that. It is possible for an Asian kid from, you know, the north of England somewhere to, to do that. You know, it's it's about opening the doors by being present in those positions, isn't it? And I think people forget that.
1: I don't want black people just to be put in there, just to be put in there. If you're educated enough on the same level as the people within that group, and you've earned the right to be within that group, then give them a chance to be part of that group. That's what I'm trying to say. Don't just put a black person in there for the sake of it. Oh yeah, get him in anyway. diversity is great. Get a black person, get an Asian person, get a gay person, all that kind of, don't do it because of those reasons. Do it because they are educated enough to help you make decisions. That's what it's all about. It's like football coaches. There's not enough black managers, there's not enough black coaches. Are enough black managers going for these jobs? Are they going for the coaching jobs? Don't just give them a job for the sake of it so that you can tick that box and say, yeah, we've got three black coaches, one under the 16, one under the 23, and an assistant manager. It's crap. Not interested in that. And gee, what you said as well is an absolute great point. And, I, and I'll bring it back to being on the pitch. You mentioned about reactive. You mentioned about a reactive Nate. A, 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 reacting to what's been said or done. We're great at that. Perfect. If I put, if I take that onto the football pitch and I say, right, I know this player can pass the ball from right to left very well. That means I've got to tell my right back to be ready for this ball to come in because this guy can pass the ball from right to left very well. Be ready for it. That means I'm stopping it at source. Mm. That problem is being stopped at source. If the ball is going to be chipped in from a corner to the near post, I'm going to go on the near post and stop the danger at source. Everything behind me can wait. I will stop it at source. You don't have a problem. Mm. Stop it where it comes in. Stop it where it starts. And the rest of it can't snowball. Yeah,
0: I mean, you're absolutely right. It's just hard to find that source and get to that source, course, isn't it? It's just, it, it's, it's, inter- not easy, it's not as easy as no, words. No. Okay, it's,
1: not just words, it's not as easy as that. No. It's taking the time to sit down, the hierarchy sit down with people like G and myself and say, listen, we, we, you've got to be brave enough. You've got to be brave enough as a party and a PM to say, right, listen, could you help us, please? We want to make sure that this doesn't continue happen happening. Are you brave enough to do that? That's the question.
0: I wonder, are there learnings from the the Tackle HIV campaign? Because... Alfie, you're able to present people with facts and some of the facts in a survey of of 4,000 people before you started kind of educating them, where 61% of people said that they found out a potential partner was HIV positive, they might end the relationship. Almost half think HIV can still be passed on, even if the person is on treatment. More than one in three people said they would not play a contact sport if they know one of their opponents at HIV uh, through the medication we know that's not true and you're able to present people with those facts yeah. and, and and use that as a very solid fact to kind of change their minds uh, it, it's, kind of,
2: it, it's almost an easier prospect isn't it yeah but it's the reality like everything we've said now it's the reality of what these people feel they know and what these people have been brought up or have learnt so trying to tell them Anything different is a very difficult thing to do. But when you get people, you know, like Dion, sitting down here talking about the stigma involved with racism and stigma in general and discrimination in general, then people sit up and listen. And people think, okay, I might fit into one of these categories. I'm listening to this pod and thinking to myself, Oh, when black people walk in a room, I actually create attention. Or when somebody with HIV walks in a room, I create attention. So what we've done, we've created TackleHIV.org, which is a website that people go to and can go to to have information and to know the facts. And as we said, the very start of this, when people have facts about discrimination, then it empowers them to make the consciously right decision about not being discriminative, because they've learned wrong facts they've learned that as dion said you know they've learned that a black person to them is somebody who's like a second class citizen somebody who smells somebody who they don't want to go near a person living with hiv is somebody who can maybe transmit the virus them somebody who's gay is going to fancy them so they've learned all these so it's understanding and having a place a point of reference to go to where you have facts that empower you because they stop you being discriminative. They stop you being a person who's basing his discrimination on pure knowledge grasped out of the air or picked up by your great-great-grandfather years ago who thought this way and felt he was allowed to think this way and continue to do that. So what the Tackle HIV campaign does is kind of give you Facts about how it feels to be dis- discriminated against from people who have been the victim of discrimination.
1: I think it makes it makes people better people. I yeah. think it makes them feel better if they have the information. They can act on the information. It can help them. The information it will. They'll walk into a room and feel better if there's a gay guy in there or black guy. They'll feel better about themselves. They won't have the fear. They will know. More about having HIV. They will know more about any issue and they will feel, like G said, empowered and oh I can deal with this. I know, I know about this actually. I'm fine with this. I know it's all about this. It's fine. Surely that's a mindset that more people want to have.
0: We talk about the R A quite a lot, don't we? With coronavirus at the moment, how one person can affect another person Mm -hmm. and that doubles and triples and expands, expands. Actually, Using that, uh, crassly using that kind of analogy for a moment, people listening to this podcast are listening because they clearly want to bring about some change. All of you listening can do that. You can affect another person. who can affect two people, four people. It can expand. Actually, with with, with people working hard, listening to this and working, um, you can affect a lot of change out there, can't you, with this kind you know, of thing? Without
1: a doubt. It's, it's, just, it's just taking the time to, you know, just go and find out what you need to find out. If you're not sure about something... Just take the time to research it and just find out more information about it. It's not hard. We are not saying to you, you are bad, you are bad. We're not saying that. We are just saying, go and find out a little bit more about what you're not happy with or what you don't know. Simple as that, guys. And when you find out, you will go, oh, oh okay. Oh, yeah. Oh I, oh, I understand now. That's all we want.
0: Um, do you have anywhere people can go, look up any websites? Dion might help them out with this.
1: You know what? There's so many, you know, the Black Lives Matter thing has brought all that up again, which is good, which is what we spoke about, you know, um, um, uh, kick out racism. You know, but there's a massive, massive um, um, website there, you know, kick racism into touch. There's so many racism websites that you can go to. I'm not saying go and study, study, study. All I'm saying is find a website that works for you and just gather some information that might make you understand who we are, what we are and where we come from. Because I can guarantee you I smell pretty good.
0: It D- does smell good, actually. He does. He does. Yeah, he does. He does. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is he wears. I'd say it's an expensive scent.
2: Definitely expensive. I'm thinking it's
0: uh, I'm thinking it's aqua de parma. Classy kind of scent. Is
2: that,
1: is that yeah. Uh, listen, I tell you what I am I am I'm 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 an utter cocoa butter man. you've been around the black boys a lot we like to put the cream I love a
2: (laughs) cocoa butter I love a (laughs) cocoa butter session (laughs) that's what it's all about well just to
0: just to enforce a few stereotypes (laughs) I just like the butter you know I just like the butter and the spuds all over me just rubbed deep into me my word um <laughs> diana it's been great talking to you he's great isn't he hello oh, yeah what, what a great man. bloke good what stuff man.
1: thank you so much guy listen man what you're doing is what needs to be done man it needs to be spoken about it needs to be out there so listen well done and if you ever need me again
2: just shout me man i really yeah, mean that thanks Anything my friend think? i really appreciate that
0: well, Dion Gareth, you have uh, you have motivated your army out there listening to the podcast. Uh, well done, A- absolutely brilliant conversation and uh, really inspirational stuff. Um, so, thank you, Dion. Really good talking to you, um, Alfie. How do people get involved? How do they get more information?
2: Uh, I think it's really important that if people want to empower themselves and find the knowledge, then we have uh, tacklehiv.org, which is the website to go to with some really in- interesting information. There on social media um, at tacklehiv. And I think what you'll get there is the real facts about living with HIV, be able to empower yourselves and also create better environments for everybody, not just people living with HIV.
0: Yeah good stuff yeah every positive action we take can affect lots of other people in positive ways let's spread the positivity and the love out there Dion absolutely absolutely
1: thank you guys appreciate it no worries thank I'll be in guys. touch
0: if I can find a little two-bedroomer in Salford for you to buy for me <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> going going he <laughs> had to get it yeah. in he had to get well, it we word. should
0: team up I could do the windows we could team up <laughs> well, there you go <laughs> <laughs> uh, take care bye, of yourselves. Uh, look, thanks for listening. Really good having your company. We'll be back very, very soon with another great guest, Alfie and I. Until then, take care. Bye bye. And enjoy yourselves.